Hello, and welcome back to The Consistency Project with E.C. Sinkowski. My name is Patrick Cummings, and every episode I have the distinct privilege of presenting E.C. with a question on subject matters that range from nutrition to fitness to the choices we can all make to live a healthier, more functional life. By exploring both the principles at play and the actions worth carrying out as a result, we aim to get you thinking, get you moving, and get you taking more consistent steps toward optimizing your well-being as always, thank you so much for tuning in. How you doing, EC? Awesome. Thank you. Today, we are going to dive into one of the principles. We've talked about the 10 principles of nutrition in a previous episode. And one of those principles, when I was reviewing it, as we were starting to talk about you know, where the conversation was going to go, I narrowed in on one that I think all of them can be separate conversations. But for whatever reason, this one stuck out to me as being like, you know what, let's make sure we put a pin in that and cover it in its own episode, because it seems really interesting to me. And that's principle nine, which is that your diet can't be validated. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to get a sense of what you mean by that. Before we do that, I want to make sure that people have a good sense of why the heck this podcast is called The Consistency Project. And truthfully, I remember when you and I recorded an episode of Chasing Excellence with Ben. And as we were wrapping up, you were like, yeah, I'm thinking about doing this thing called The Consistency Project. And you kind of like laid out what it was. And even before I knew what it was, I was like, whatever that is, it's the name is perfect and you should do it. Absolutely. And then somehow I talked to you about that. I somehow managed to talk you into also doing a podcast about it. And so I want to make sure people know what The Consistency Project at least started as. And this is certainly an extension of that. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what that is? Yeah, I remember that. I remember your enthusiasm. And I was like, oh, man, I got to do it. <laughs> yeah, I'm annoying like that. <laughs> no, it was good. It was good. But you know, we get these questions a lot that are like, what are the three things to focus on? Or what are the five things to focus on? And so, you know, for me, I kept coming back to these really simple ideas of diet, quality, quantity, exercise, sleep, and, and stress to some degree. And, and then it was like, okay, well, how do these shake out? over days? Like, are we actually doing these on most yep. of our days? And so that was sort of it. It's like, well, let's track on these big things. Like, let's not worry about magnesium supplementation until we're actually doing the things that matter the most. And so that's what it became, this simple tracker to weigh in on diet quality, quantity, exercise and sleep, not stress, which I explain elsewhere. But those things, and we do it with the 800 gram challenge, a protein target, how many hours you slept and whether or not you exercise, but it's just a simple yes or no. It's not mm -hmm. like you're filling out this massive questionnaire every day or logging all the things you eat, which has its time and its place, but for just to sort of guide each day and kind of mentally check in at the end of the day of like, did I do the things that really matter? And so there's a free tracker at consistency.optimizemenutrition.com that you can join. You can log your score for free and you can also kind of see how you're trending and see what your score is over time. Love it. All right. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Okay. This question of, or this topic of a diet cannot be validated. What yes. the heck <laughs> does that mean? Where do we begin this conversation? Again, most of the things I talk about are just the result of questions I get, right? So one of the most common forms of questions I get is something along the lines of like, well, you know, I eat pretty much. And then they'll tell me, and it normally is like some version of whole food paleo, you know, whatever, loose paleo. But I also Carnivore. eat a <laughs> Yeah, not quite that extreme. But, you know, I eat some version of this whole food paleo idea, but I eat a small amount of, and then they tell me kind of like the wine on Saturday night or the wine yep. every night or the chocolate or the ice cream you know, is this okay? Is this good? Is this fine? And so this is really where this idea came from. It's like, ultimately, I, I, I can't tell you that answer, right? So this is kind of my principle to explain that, like, no, I don't have the answer. 
<laughs> and I think it is like these people have or people have these questions because they're they're kind of just looking for reassurance, yeah. right? They just want to know, you know, am what I do, am what I'm doing, is this what's going to cause the cancer? Is this what's going to cause the heart disease? And not only can I not answer that, but but nobody can really answer that because we we don't know what is going to be your downfall. And even if we did know what was going to be your downfall, we don't exactly know what causes that downfall because that health outcome, whether or not it's the cancer, the cardiovascular disease, the stroke, whatever it is, it's a basically the result of a complex web of genetic and environmental factors. There's a lot mm-hmm. going on for that to happen. And I, I want to use an example because I think, you know, I throw this word genetics around a lot and it's, it's hard to understand how complex that is. We could take something like blood pressure. And I think sometimes people think, oh, okay, there's a gene for blood pressure. Like I have the gene that says good or bad. Well, <laughs> it's not so simple. Of course, there's more than 40 genes involved in blood pressure regulation. And those genes have different forms, all that can influence blood pressure. And so it's their collective action that results in your blood pressure. And this is why we have kind of continuous distribution of blood pressure. It's not that you just have, you can only have 120 over 80, or you can only have, you know, 130 over 90. You can have any of the values in between higher and lower. And it's because you have so many different genes affecting this process. But when we're thinking about that, when we're thinking about, okay, wow, we've got all these genes affecting this process. Well, do all of them matter to the same degree? Do some matter more than others? Probably, you know? And then mm-hmm. when we think, okay, well, we probably have some that are controlling the whole, all 40 of them. Well, what are they affected by? Are they affected by diet? Or maybe they're affected by environment, like stress. Or maybe they're affected by both. You know, and then if we were to take something like diet, like say, okay, well, no, we've got these five genes that are affected by diet. Well, that gets infinitely complex. Are we talking about the calories in your diet? Or are we talking about how much magnesium you have? Or maybe another <laughs> one of the 28 micronutrients? So, you then have to kind of expand that thought process to every single health outcome we have, like heart disease. Okay, well, which kind of heart disease are we talking about? Like an arrhythmia or a heart attack? There's lots of different ways that heart disease can manifest. And then we have other outcomes, stroke, Alzheimer's, cancer, which kind? So we have all of these multiple genes affecting a single outcome. We've got multiple different outcomes, and they're all influenced by our diet, lifestyle choices, smoking, exercise, environmental exposures, stress, Across your entire life, not just what mm. you're doing today. And so hopefully I'm kind of getting across this idea that we just have this massive amount of data. And a lot of the data we don't even have because it's like, well, I don't know, what were you exposed to when you were five, 10, even yeah. in the womb? I mean, people are like, when your mom was pregnant, what was she doing affects your outcome. So I can't tell you whether or not, you know, the two glasses of wine is it, or whether you need to be supplementing with, I don't know, I keep picking on magnesium. When we get down to this granular level of individual diet and lifestyle choices, we just don't know what exactly causes what. Well, that's frustrating. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Okay. So given all that, and I'm certainly not arguing that, there must be something we know. There must be somewhere we can point our efforts or our attention to at least be making some kind of positive change or positive decisions. Yes? Yes, we have some good news. Well, thank goodness. <laughs> it's not that we're just like totally in the dark. We <laughs> we do have these broad patterns that are associated with health, right? Eating whole foods and then eating a diverse array of them because then we get different micronutrients and and different phytochemicals and all the stuff that I say all the time. Eating at the appropriate load, a caloric load, you know, maintaining your healthy weight, not gaining too much excess weight. We know that exercise is helpful. We know that sleep is good for you. We know that too much stress is not good for you. These really simple basic practices we know are associated with health time and time again. Mm -hmm. And the further you get away from those practices, 
the more likely we have a problem. Now, where it starts to get complicated and where we don't know is like the specifics of that. Like which aspect of those factors matter more for you? Is it more Mm -hmm. the exercise or more the diet? You know, and even getting within that, like if it's more the diet, well, is it the blueberries or the apples? Or if it's more the exercise, is it more the cardio or the yoga? And it's just like, yeah, we we don't know. We don't know those specifics. And I think the other thing that's really important there, and I I say that word a lot associated, (laughs) when we look at these risks, you know, we're saying that practices are associated with health, but we can't guarantee that they're going to give you health. It's, it's changing your risk to getting that thing, but it's not totally writing it off. And I, I think we have to think through a couple examples. I'm sure we all know somebody, you know, tragically, who died too soon. They had a good diet, they exercised, they did all the right things, and they still yeah. died very young. And then we also probably know somebody that, you know, smokes three packs a day, they live on vodka and chips or some crazy diet, they live till they're 95, right? We've got these extreme outcomes where most people are going to fall somewhere in between them with some sort of variation of that. And diet and lifestyle has an effect, but how much of an effect, we don't know. Like Mm -hmm. maybe the good diet will help you live to 70, maybe to 85. We, We just don't know. To harken back to what we started talking about today, the consistency project, literally the tracker, is part of the value in that. I think there's lots of value in just focusing on the consistency of these things. But also, you know, it's not a coincidence that these are also short of the stress one. Like they're the practices that you just listed as, Mm -hmm. you know, as best we can tell associated with health. Would you look at it as or is one of the things you look at that? four is, okay, I can maybe figure out what my weakest link here, because over Mm -hmm. the course of 30 Mm -hmm. days or 60 days, I can see, all right, I'm pretty good at hitting the 800 gram challenge. I'm pretty good at exercising, but man, my sleep is at like 50% of the days I'm getting. Is that part of the value in something like the consistency project, if not exactly that? Have you been looking at my score, Patrick? (laughs) You just described me quite well. My sleep is the low one. So you also get stats kind of which one is the best out of them. But Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, yeah, that would be where to start. Like, let's look at these four factors on the consistency project. Again, we could stretch it to five of stress and you can add in your own metric there. But let's look at these factors. And the next thing that you should do in quotes should do in terms of your diet and lifestyle to improve your health or, you know, to improve your weight would be the weakest link. It's not... Mm the post-workout shake and it's not the whatever supplement it's which of these five is the lagging indicator and for me it is sleep and that's why i made that joke that yeah, yeah i mean i'm actually pretty darn consistent with the 800 gram challenge no surprise protein's not as good but pretty darn good exercise is great and then sleep it falls off yep. now it's interesting I, I i do think that i don't know the exact weighting of them i don't know that i would put sleep as important as diet it depends how much less sleep we're talking about you Mm. know and all the the grades of this but yeah i think that's a great place to start an easy way to start again don't focus on these really specific details get these basic practices in place and yeah what's your weakest link get started there got it okay so we have a good sense of the actions to take or the things to pay attention to to try to optimize is there something similar with I don't know what to call them, but like metrics or markers that we at least as best we can know, say, okay, if this thing and this thing and this thing is trending in the right direction, we can be as confident as we can be that you have a lower risk of, you know, again, fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. Yeah, these health markers are kind of your best validation, the best validation that your diet quality, quantity, exercise, sleep, et cetera, is is right to the best that we can 
you know, define right. And so, yeah, looking at different health markers, I think is a great way to kind of convince yourself or comfort yourself that you're on the right track. And I would encourage you to look at weight or body composition markers, health markers, and performance markers. So weight or body composition, we've definitely talked about this before, but you know, you can measure this in different ways, whether or not you want to look at just your weight or your BMI or your body fat percentage. Again, not one single marker is always great. So the more markers you get are better, but this is a good indication, right? Having a healthy weight, having not too much body fat percentage is associated with health. So check in on that. Health markers, all the things you get measured, you know, with your annual physical, whether or not that's cholesterol or fasting glucose, you name it, your doctor runs those labs you want to be in that normal range. The caveat on this one I do like to point out is age. And I I mentioned that because age is, youth is forgiving. Youth is forgiving. (laughs) You, You can look very healthy on labs and maybe following some practices which don't associate with health in the long term. So just keep that in mind that, you know, a diet of Cheetos and Pop-Tarts, your, your fasting glucose might be fine if you're 21, right? That, yeah, you that ju- probably I think changes. you just described my diet at 21. <laughs> oh, man. That and cereal. And yeah, there we go. Round out the food groups. So look at those, see where you are. And then, of course, performance. And I don't always mean performance in, you know, the elite athlete standpoint. Just can, how are you doing on your run around the neighborhood? Can you do it faster? Can you lift more weight in whatever you pick? Can you do more steps in a certain amount of time? That's an also great indication. And so taking all of these markers weight, body composition, health, and performance, and, and seeing that they all sort of trend together or exist at a, at a range together, meaning kind of normal, healthy. And you want to see what happens to them over time. Like maybe you're normal and healthy right now, but then it kind of keeps slipping as you get older. That's not ideal either. We want to see that they're all kind of staying together and moving together. And, and this is really the best validation you have. And it gets better the more markers you use. Don't get too obsessive about it. I mean, you don't need every lab panel under the sun. But the more markers you put into this picture, the more that we're going to get an overall complete picture of your health and that, that no, we still can't guarantee your outcome, but we at least can say you're probably on the right track. Yeah. So what I'm kind of hearing is this question about being validated or having a diet validated or whatever an individual is looking to be validated. Really, that's an attempt to be certain in a subject where certainty doesn't actually exist. Is that roughly kind of an accurate summary? Totally. I mean, nutrition's right there with everything else in life. There are no guarantees. I mean, what, death and taxes? That's about it. Nutrition, that's one of the ones that there are no guarantees. And I think it can be hard to believe that. Again, you know, 2020, we're so advanced. We have all this research. (laughs) We know all the things, right? No, we don't. We don't. There's still a lot that is unknown. And there is no perfect combination of foods for your genetics that specifically optimizes all the things that we know of anyway. Theoretically, there is. Definitely there, there is in theory, but we certainly don't have those details yet, and we're not going to have those details anytime soon. But I think what's kind of good about coming to this conclusion of like, okay, there's uncertainty here is two things. One, you get to reject anybody who says that they have the answer, right? Mm. And I've, I think I've said this before, but anyone who blesses your diet is lying, right? If they mm. say this is exactly what you need to do to prevent all of the diseases, they don't know. You know, they don't really know that the cherry extract is much better than the green supplement, is much better than the grapefruit. You know, they don't. What, what they're banking on and what they do know is that 
those options are all better than French fries. But that's about mm. the extent that we that we can bank on, right? Or at least gamble that that's true. So that's one thing. It's just to sort of reject some of these claims. But I do also think that, again, we have to come back to the fact that yeah, there's uncertainty, but we actually know a good amount of information. Like I said, eat mostly whole foods <laughs> in the right quantity, get some exercise, sleep enough, don't stress and do that every day. And and I think, again, a lot of us aren't even close to doing that every day. So we have plenty to work on, even though we don't necessarily have all the specifics. Yeah. The caveat that you gave the 21 year old and the you know, tacos and cereal and Cheetos, that to me seems like an interesting you know, it's an interesting caveat in this conversation. How do you recommend a 21-year-old think about this versus a 61-year-old person think of this? I assume that your, I don't know if it's your advice or, the, or how you would suggest somebody think about these things differs pretty greatly between those two individuals. Man, I think the 61-year-old is probably going to have some indications that it's already affecting them, right? So it's very mm. unlikely that the 61-year-old is going to stroll into the doctor's office on that Cheeto diet and everything's going to be fine. But the 21-year-old will. So I think there's a little bit of just having the awareness that like, yeah, we kind of know things are, some things are more healthy than other in terms of practices. And it kind of goes yep. back to that idea of the investment analogy, right? Like sometimes we have to invest in things that maybe don't pay off that second. And and there's, there's that kind of for the 21-year-old. There's also for the 21-year-old that like, and we've mentioned this before, you know, there is some resiliency as well. Like yeah. you can still change things later in life and make some really positive effects. So there is some, uh, I don't like to encourage poor behavior, but clearly we see it play out all the time that you don't mm -hmm. have to be perfect at 21 and you can still be a perfect individual. So I think there's a little bit of level of like, okay, well, we don't need all 21 year olds to only have their steamed kale every night, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> we like those 21 year olds more. <laughs> right, right. But it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's just kind of an overall concept there that I like to bring up with people in diet choices. And it's this idea of deciding their kind of risk tolerance. Mm, you know, maybe you're the person who wants to roll the die on the on the <laughs> chips and vodka diet. You know, I mean, maybe that's if you want to see, you know, if you're going to get to 95 that way. What's interesting about that is that person you could think of as like They've won the genetic lottery, but they don't actually know till they get there. So is it really a winning, you know? But anyway, maybe you're that person. You're like, well, let's see what happens. Or you might be on the other end of the spectrum. Maybe you're the person who's like, I only want to eat all perfectly whatever fruits and veggies food and no processed food because I always have to maximize my micronutrient intake every day, whatever it is. And those are the kind of extremes. And you have to pick where you fall in that. And I, I again, using an analogy here, I like the idea of like driving a car and speeding, you know, how, mm. how do you choose how fast to drive? <laughs> the more you speed and the faster you speed, the more risk you have at getting caught or maybe being injured. But there's also the potential that you might also get away with it, right? It's just a yep. level of, of risk tolerance. And so it's sort of true with diet. The more that you want to pick the Cheetos and the chips or whatever it is, the more likely you'll have a problem. But, but that's sort of your overall choice. I think if we use the speeding analogy, I would think that some people are comfortable a little bit over, but mm -hmm. right, but maybe not going 90 and a 60. So I think that's kind of where my fall a lot with my diet approach. It's like, we don't need this ultimate perfection. We're able to have some wine or the birthday cake or the pick your, pick your vice of choice, but we still have to have a pretty good control of what's going on. Love that. Okay. As we start to wrap up, Anything else about this subject of wanting 
needing your diet to be validated worth mentioning, worth talking about before we sign off? I do want to bring it maybe a little bit more practical. I think this discussion gets a little bit theoretical, right? Mm -hmm. And not a ton of specifics. Because ultimately, I get these questions about cheat foods. <laughs> mm, yeah. you know, people, people aren't really asking, like, is the broccoli okay? <laughs> or <laughs> what about the apple? Like, I, I don't get a ton of those questions. It's always the wine, the ice cream, yeah. whatever. And so I think there's just sort of a little bit of a check there, like, okay, well, how is the rest of the day, right? Like, if this is an yep. overwhelming type of food in your diet, it's it's probably not in the direction that you want to go. But if the rest of the diet is overwhelmingly whole, unprocessed foods, if those markers are going in the right direction, then it's probably well within your buffer to to have it, right? And be at the risk tolerance that's acceptable to you. Yeah. When you say that, I think about every time we have you on Chasing Excellence, Ben somehow manages to ask <laughs> you if bacon's okay. Right. <laughs> and that's roughly the answer you give him, which is like, yeah, I mean, it, that, that in and of itself is not helpful for me to know. Right. It's everything else that's it's useful. It's everything else. Totally. Yeah. Totally. All right. Awesome. Thank you, EC. Thank you so much to everybody who listens. And thank you so much to everybody who's left a review and rated the show. They are very helpful, except when you're mean to us, and then it's not helpful at all. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't think anybody's been mean to us yet. We'll be back soon with another episode of The Consistency Project. Until then, stay well. Hi, all. EC here. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to the show. Thank you as well for all the support, for the five-star ratings and the reviews, and for telling your friends or family about the podcast that really does help the podcast grow. And if you want to get the most recent info from me and be up to date on all of my content, the best place for that is my email list. So you can subscribe at optimizemenutrition.com slash email. I send out emails weekly-ish, <laughs> and that's also the best place to get your question in the queue for Quick Bites episodes. So again, that's optimizemenutrition.com slash email, and there's also a link in the show notes.